Welcome to the Revelation Church podcast. We trust today's message will speak to you. If you'd like to get in touch, just drop us an email at hello at revelationchurch.org.uk. Morning, everyone. Morning. The plan, the plan today is for me to preach until 12, so it's a shorter sermon, and then the kids and the youth to come back in, and we'll take up our special offering together. So we're going to carry on in our James series. Um, so we're going to look at James chapter 5 and read the first six verses in just a second. Just to say, in terms of thinking about the letter of James, we've, we've said a few things about it going through it in this series, but if you want to contrast it with the letters of Paul... Paul's letters, so letters like Galatians, Ephesians, Romans, Philippians, Colossians, Corinthians, those ones and others, they tend to, they tend to involve, uh, some of them particularly, quite complex doctrine that you really have to wrestle with and try and work out what does Paul really mean in order to know what to believe and what to apply. James, it's not like that. It's very, very obvious what he means. It's not complicated doctrine. I don't say that in a patronizing way or a dismissive way. It's just very, very plain. And really, with James, it's not a matter of, I wonder what he meant. You know what he meant. Um, the issue is, how do I live this out? How do I put this into practice? So um, just to say, you know, the, the whole thing, the understanding of the doctrine of Scripture, that it's all inspired by the Holy Spirit, nevertheless... God used the personalities that wrote it, which is why they do differ in style. Um, they didn't become automatons as they wrote. They were themselves expressing themselves in the way that God had made them, but inspired by the Holy Spirit. So we have this wonderful variety, richness in Scripture. Um, and I just wanted to just say that. So you're going to be under no illusions about what James thinks about fraud and greed this morning. Okay? Just so you know, I'm going to have to spend ages unpacking what he really means. He means what he says, and it's very obvious what he means by what he says. So let's read the first five um, verses together of, um, sorry, first six verses of James chapter 5. Let's all read out loud together. Come now, you rich, weep and howl for the miseries that are coming upon you. Your riches have rotted and your garments are moth-eaten. Your gold and silver have corroded, and their corrosion will be evidence against you and will eat your flesh like fire. You have laid up treasure in the last days. Behold, the wages of the laborers who mowed your fields, which you kept back by fraud, are crying out against you. And the cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord of hosts. You have lived on the earth in luxury and in self-indulgence. You have fattened your hearts in a day of slaughter. You have condemned and murdered the righteous person. He does not resist you. Here we go. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. It's strong, strong words, perhaps some of the strongest words in the whole of the Bible. I pray that we would honor you in the way that we handle them. Help us, Lord, to find your grace and your truth right in the midst of them. We know you're full of grace and truth, Lord, but we know you speak, you speak strong words to us. And we pray that we'd be able to honor you in the way that we respond, not just in the way we respond externally, but in our hearts. Help us, Lord, as we look to grapple with these words today. In Jesus' name, amen. James, you wouldn't start a Sunday service with words like this. 
Come now, you rich, weep and howl for the miseries that are coming upon you. It's not normally how we articulate uh, the reality of the Christian faith. It's not the way we normally talk. It can make us feel a bit uncomfortable. What do we do with this? How do we handle this? Um, uh, But it's ever so important that we don't um, silence or mute or um, circumvent this, go around it, but that we face it head on because... Because this man, right in these words, was led by the Holy Spirit. So there's, there's, there's strength in it because it is so important. And if you like, for these first three verses, we see that James is almost, he's, it's, like, it's like you're listening to a man who is looking at a congregation and he's transported in his mind and in his spirit to the future. He's transported to the judgment. And he can see what's going to happen. And as a result, his words are urgent. And his words are strong. He can see they're going down a certain road. And when you see someone going down a certain road, sometimes you have to speak really strongly in order to pull them back. Because unless you do that, if your tone comes across as non-urgent, you can give the impression it's no big deal. And when it is a big deal, you're not serving that person. Because they can say, well, I, I just, you know, by the way it was said, I kind of thought maybe, you know, it was, it was something I just needed to spend some time considering. No, it's not about spending time considering. James is saying, you need to really wake up in this moment right now because of how you're handling your money. And there's something about money and faith. What we are not is a church that always goes on about money and makes everything about money because the kingdom of God is not about money. But the kingdom of God for sure is about your heart. And money and the heart are inextricably linked. What you do with your money is one of the most accurate reflections on where your heart is. There's no getting away from it. Way more than how much you sing. It's where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Where you invest, and it's not just money, it's time, it's passion, it's other things. But where you invest, where your treasure is, that's where your heart follows. So it's really ever so important. James, he can see where, where these people are going. And when you have letters, epistles, James wasn't, I don't think James was thinking I'm writing the Bible. He was writing a letter to real churches in real time. So they really needed to hear this. And it might not be that all of us needs to hear this today in the same way that this church did. Nevertheless, nevertheless I say two things. Number one, it's timeless truth. And number two, some of us probably do need to hear this in the way that James is talking about it. There's enough of this in the room for me to be assured of that without being a prophet. He says the miseries that are coming upon you, riches rotted by corrosion. I don't know whether the image of corrosion is here. I asked someone if we could have it on the slide. Is there an image of corrosion? Corroded gold? Here we go. So there's some gold that's been corroded. Corrosion, I'm not a scientist, but the basic idea is is that is that you get things like gold and through oxidization, they're, they're exposed to oxygen, either in air or water, and it begins to um, affect the very elements of the thing. The thing is impact. What it was, it, becomes, it begins to become something elementally different from what it was through exposure to air or water. And so he's saying, James is saying to the believers here that your riches have rotted, they've been corroded, and all of your garments that you've stored up They've become moth-eaten. He's looking, he's looking ahead. He's seeing where it goes. He's seeing what happens to stuff. This is what happens to stuff. This is what happens to money. This is what happens to clothes. This is what happens to possessions. And when they've got your heart, you're in trouble. 
When money's got your heart, you're in trouble. When possessions have got your heart, you're in trouble. When clothes have got your heart, you're in trouble. Because you're investing in a, a poor investment. That's the issue. It's an unwise, foolish investment. He uses words like, the corrosion is, is like evidence against you. Why is he using words like, your, the corrosion of the gold stored will be evidence against you? Because he says there's judgment coming. Now, if you're a genuine believer, you've been delivered from that ultimate judgment of heaven, hell, through righteousness in Christ. Absolutely you have. But the Bible says that all of us will give an account for the deeds done in the body, whether good or bad. All of us, believers, unbelievers. All of us will be held to account for the way that we live. And there's actually great dignity in that. It shows that we are morally responsible. It's extraordinarily dignifying. We're not just like the beasts of the field. We are in a class set apart. We are God's special design, made in his image. As a result, we are morally culpable. That's incredibly dignifying. But it also to make us sit up and just take stock. He also says that you're, that he says that the, there will be evidence against you and will eat your flesh like fire. I mean, this is vivid. This is very, very vivid. The idea of the corrosion of the gold eating your flesh like fire. We can't get away from the imagery of fire when it talks about judgment. Whether that's for believers, our works will be judged by fire. Or whether that's eternal punishment, hell, which is, which is portrayed biblically as a fire that does not go out. These are biblical truths that, we, that are, they may not be culturally acceptable, but they're timelessly true. And the more our culture moves towards a secular framework and worldview, the more concepts like this, if you embrace that worldview, will seem outrageous, unjust, and not true. But it is not a reflection on the biblical truth. It's a reflection on the worldview you've embraced, which has got no concern at all for the glory and honor of God. None at all. The only concern is with personal well-being and fulfillment. So you've got to, you've, these, are, these are days where you need to work out what you're about. <laughs> these are days because it's not, there's not a general backdrop of kind of Christian morality, you know, Judeo-Christian ethic. It's just not there anymore. And as a result, these, these matters seem increasingly at odds with day-to-day -day life and the way that people think when they are. So the stakes are getting raised. There's no getting away from it. He sums it up in this sentence. You have laid up treasure in the last days. Oh, there's so much I want to say. Why did we say we'd do a shorter sermon today? That's crazy. Oh, Lord. I just need to work out what we're going to cut out. Hold on. <laughs> I love the advice. This is great. You guys care. This is brilliant. Speak quickly. What was the other stuff? Just keep going. <laughs> you know what? I'll be honest. <clears throat> I'm going to spend 30 seconds on this. So... I, did, I have wondered at points, are we doing the right thing doing James? You know, we're coming out of a lockdown, everyone needs tender treatment. We're doing a series on James. And they're having a couple of weeks, I thought, oh gosh, have we, have we heard the Lord here? But I do think there's been something about it that's just gone, you all are feeling a little bit this way and a little bit that way. We know about that, we care about you. But here's the truth! You know, and you go, okay! And it just keeps you safe. And it's, I do feel that, that God has really been merciful to us through this series. Because in this season where all of us emotionally are probably a little bit tender and a little bit, you know, you know which way's up and all of that as humans, actually it's very, very uh, securing. 
when, when we just, this is, it's a plumb line. You go, okay, right, yeah, thank you, Lord. It's God's mercy to us. So, so it's a good thing. Um, it doesn't help me at all with what, I'm gonna, what we're going to touch today. Uh, okay. He's tried, he stored up treasure in the last days. Is it the last days? Yes, it's the last days. The Bible talks about the last days from the time of Jesus onwards, okay? And um, so it is the last days. But never, there's also this parable of the rich fool, Luke 12, which says this, um, Luke 12, uh, verses 13 to 21, says um, there was... No, it's not. Uh, sorry. Here we go. Luke 12. Uh, 16, he told them a parable, saying, The land of a rich man produced plentifully, and he thought to himself, What shall I do, for I've nowhere to store my crops? He said, I'll do this. I'll tear down my barns and build larger ones, and there I will store all my grain and my goods. And I will say to my soul, Soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, be merry. But God said to him, Fool, this night your soul is required of you. And the things you've prepared, whose will they be? So is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. So here, it might not have been the last days, but it was his last days. So it is the last days, biblically. But actually, the reality is none of us know when we're going to stand before the Lord. And that's another thing, you know. And so James, one way or the other, whichever way James means it, says he probably means it in the former sense. But he says, you've, draw, you've stored up treasure in the last days. So what is the big idea with money and Christianity? How does it work? In a nutshell, Jesus shows us in Matthew 6. And you'll recognize some of the language from James. Okay, So a few verses. So Matthew 6, 19. Listen to Jesus. Do not lay up. It's really important. Listen to the words carefully because it's fascinating. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven. Did you hear that? Lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven. Where neither moth nor rust destroys, where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is there, your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body is full of light. If your eye is bad, your whole body is full of darkness. In, in the Bible, the good eye and the bad eye is about generosity. That's what the word means. You find that in Deuteronomy. Um, it's about having a good eye. It's when you look generously towards those who need it. Bad eyes when you don't. And then he says, no one can serve two masters. Either he'll hate the one and love the other, or he'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. The original word there is mammon, which was like a word for the God of money. So three main things. Number one, invest in heaven. That's good for yourself. Okay? Invest in eternal things. Invest your money in what God is doing. Invest in looking after the poor. Invest in God's eternal purposes. In doing so, you are storing up for yourselves treasure in heaven. How cool is that? It's not Jesus saying, oh, don't think about yourself. He's saying, no, 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 be wise. Don't be foolish. If you want to if 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 you, if you invest, great. But invest where it won't rust. Invest where it won't corrode. Invest where, it, where the moth won't eat it. Invest in, in stuff that will last forever, which is so helpful for us because you go, well, yeah, thank you, Lord. But then it tests your faith. You then go, do I really believe in this? Don't you? Or is it just me? Thank you, Pete. You go, do I really? Do I re-? That's what happens. That's the next stage. Because when you start giving generously, radically to the stuff of eternity, you start, Joy, I hope this is real. 
it, it, it does something in your heart. And, and, and it opens the way for eternal spiritual realities to grow and grow and grow in your heart. But if you're always sitting back waiting, watching, then you're, you're, you're keeping yourself out of that process. Be generous. And don't be about two things. You can't be about Jesus and money. Just settle it. Don't try and negotiate. You can't do it. Nothing wrong with money. It's a great servant, but a terrible master. Okay? You can't be about it. You can't be about stuff. You have to, the only way to true liberty and joy is being about the kingdom. And learning how to steward money, which isn't yours anyway, is learn how to steward the money in your bank account in a way that is honoring to God and will secure for yourself a brilliant investment eternally. That's wise. That's what James is saying here. It's not just that they're storing up stuff for themselves. They're doing it fraudulently as well. There's a fraudulent element to this. He, he nails them for those that they are oppressing. They're, these are people with responsibility. They're bosses. They're employers. And they're not paying their employees. They're, they're not giving them their just desserts. And it's interesting. He says both the, both the wages themselves are crying out to the Lord of hosts. And also the employees who have not getting their money are crying out. And the word Lord of hosts, you only find it used twice in the New Testament. And one of those times in Romans, it's quoted in the Old Testament, it's Lord of the Armies. It's saying, if people are being oppressed and um, uh, uh, defrauded, if people are being treated unfairly by rich oppressors, the Lord of the Armies is coming. It's going to be bad. Okay? So if you are oppressing anyone, if you are holding back from anyone, they're just desserts. Please sort it out, because the Lord of Armies is coming. Okay? It's no joke. If, you, if, you, if, if you've been entrusted with something and you are handling it in an ungodly dark way, it is not hidden from the Lord of the Armies. Sort it out. Straighten it out. Don't allow your heart to go down that road. Okay? The language he uses is incredibly strong. You are fattening your hearts in a day of slaughter. There's no getting away from the idea, isn't there, of the fattened, the fattened calf. Got the fat and got getting it ready for the slaughter. Because you think you're living the dream. No, you're just fattening yourself up for the slaughter that's coming from the Lord of the Armies. There it is. There it is. You think oh, life's going well. I could do anything I want. But the money you're using, it's not yours, it's his. And you've cheated people. Or you're showing no no regard. For those who need it more. Lived in the earth in luxury and self-indulgence. I tell you what, as those in this part of the world, we need to really reflect seriously on this. What does it mean to enjoy a rich lifestyle, which the majority of us have, compared to the rest of the world? To every good and perfect gift is from above. God gives us all things for our enjoyment. Biblical. And yet not cross that line over into luxury and self-indulgence. When others are suffering, when others need it more. It's a constant tension. It's not an easy place to live. Okay? It's not an easy place to live, but I believe that the Lord will give us the wisdom, if our heart is right, to live in that place well and live in that place for his glory. Our model, of course, is Jesus. We're told in, this is one of the most Sweetest verses you could ever come across. 2 Corinthians 8, verse 9. Our model is Jesus. 
You know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. Though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you, by his poverty, might become rich. All of us here that are in Christ today, all of us here that have trusted in Christ, we are rich today as a result of his poverty. Him giving away that which was his in order to win us. That should lead us to two things. Number one, incredible gratitude. Incredible gratitude. His amazing sacrifice on the cross for us. Absolutely extraordinary. The king of, the king of creation would, 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 would voluntarily place himself there so that we could walk in the richness today of forgiveness, adoption, being part of his purposes. Isn't it wonderful? But number two, we recognize that part of following him means there will be things we go without in order that others can become rich. There will be things we go without for the benefit and blessing of others. Whether that's for their spiritual benefit, you know, we go without so we can spend time sharing with that person, serving those people. It's what we do, it's how we live. And we part with money to help those who need more money than us. It's what we do. It's just what we do. This is what he did. This is principle. Rich becomes poor so that we become rich. Okay, so, okay. What riches do we have? What does it look like to go without certain things so that others can become rich? That is the idea. He gives us the model. He shows us what 